This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, October 10th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. States spend piles of money on economic development incentives to attract big industrial facilities. And local communities often fight against the construction of the very housing needed for those workers. Chris Denson directs policy and research at the Georgia Public Policy Foundation. In Chicago in August, we discussed the NIMBY impulse when it comes to development and how best to make the case for new housing. Aside from the time that, well, for lack of a better term, we'll just say local weirdos who show up at zoning board meetings and rattle on about how great things were in their neighborhood 40 years ago and how they want their neighborhood to stay exactly the same way that it has been and want they want it to stay that way forever. Um, the, the only cost to those people for doing that is their time. And um, they impose a lot of costs on people. I'm speaking broadly about the people who want to stop development. Uh, I'm creating, humanizing them in a very negative way, and I apologize for that. But to the extent that there are these people who essentially can make their voices heard, get their way, and prevent uh, developments from occurring, uh, there seems there's... There's no downside for them. That cost is not internalized. It is borne entirely by other people for the benefit of the people who want things to stay the same. So how do we get at this question? And and why does it matter that we understand how much it costs to prevent development of housing? Yeah, so I think what you have just described has been termed the last man in phenomenon. Please let me be the last guy to move out here. Yes, exactly. And every house after I purchase my home needs to subsequently increase in price exponentially if possible. Uh, but, but no, it's an interesting point because uh, at the Georgia Public Policy Foundation, we were established in 1991, but we did not begin our work in housing policy and housing affordability until 2021. And so the first thing we did was to establish a study that looked at the cost of government regulation, that's federal, state, and local combined government regulation, to build a single-family home. And what we found was uh, that it was just under 27% of the cost of a new single-family home came from government regulation. Uh, And we can talk more about that, but, you know, what was really interesting is after we published the study kind of did a barnstorming tour around the state, including uh, one event at the University of Georgia, which had a lot of local government officials there. And one county commissioner said to me, she said, look, I I know exactly what you're talking about, but you need to understand it's the people that come to the meetings, much like you described. You're the one, you need to describe this to them. And so, you know, that's what we try to do is try to raise awareness of this issue and, and, and go from there. So, I try to imagine ways in which the people who uh, complain about new housing uh, can be compelled to internalize the costs associated with the things that they're advocating for. And, you know, sometimes they are property taxes with fewer people at the same level of services. Property taxes are higher than they might otherwise would be. That's one way to internalize that cost. How do you get at that uh, question? So, you know, in a state like Georgia, which has experienced uh, a massive wave, uh, a massive influx of migration over the 2010s, and especially during the pandemic and, and in recent years, 
what I think you're you're really finding is, you know, there there is that segment of the population that's concerned about people moving in from out of state. And, you know, we need to try and maintain the character of our community. But more than that, you're starting to see the situation where, you know, you just have this natural progression of life in so many communities. Either we're talking about empty nesters looking to downsize. We're talking about young families that have that second, that third, that fourth child need to buy a larger home. And suddenly they are being priced out either through, you know, the cost of a home or the lack of just like the right size home that they're looking for. And they're having to leave their community because we just have such a lack of supply. And I think that's really at the heart of the issue where even those, you know, those families, those people that have been in these communities for generations, suddenly they don't have the housing supply that they've grown accustomed to. I feel like there's a story that you have to tell in order to make it. And and developers know this story by heart. And the story is everyone in my neighborhood is old. There are not new families moving into this neighborhood. There are not lots of kids running around in this neighborhood. And that is a sign of a neighborhood in decline. And it's, it's easy to get your head around it once you've heard it. But I, but I do think that story is it, well, it's compelling, but I just don't think many people internalize that information or the, the logical steps of what brings you to that point. No, I think that's fair. And for all the reasons you mentioned earlier, people are going to act in their own self-interest. But we, you know, in Georgia, as in many places around the country, we have over-regulated to the point that we just had this massive lack of supply. Uh, there was a recent U.S. Senate report that, that indicated Georgia was, uh, I believe, roughly 365,000 housing units short statewide. And so we've seen the situation where, you know, housing is being treated like a precious commodity. Uh, it's a far cry from what we experienced in the housing market in the immediate aftermath of the Great Recession when we had an abundance of supply. Now we have the opposite problem. And so what you're seeing a lot of now is just that the, we just have this situation where, um, you know, people can, we, we have essentially apartments or large single family homes, there's, you know, missing middle is a term that's obviously, uh, you know, thrown around quite often. That's duplexes, triplexes, um, moderately sized townhomes. But, but more than that, when you see these type of regulations that stifle supply, you just don't have a community that it meets the, the various needs of, of the people that call it home. And, and so when you have a, a neighborhood or development in, in decline, I mean, property taxes definitely are one consideration. But but more than that, you know, it's just it, it's just I, I agree with you that it's a sign of lack of uh, um, prosperity or not necessarily prosperity, but just a lack of a vibrant community. It's dead. It's capital that is compelled to be dead. Right. That there's a, the, all, all the stuff is available to do the things that we all agree are good things. But it is that sort of the, the impulse, the NIMBY impulse that, sure, just do it over there. Just don't do it here. And, and that's, that is precisely what we're struggling with in Georgia. And I'll give you, you know, there's a very pertinent example here. We have had three massive economic development projects announced in the state in recent years. It was an SK battery plant northeast of Atlanta. It was the Rivian electric car plant east of Atlanta. And then the Hyundai plant that was announced just outside Savannah. And so these three massive economic devel development uh, opportunities with were, you know, 
purposely put into rural areas. Well, all three of those counties instituted some form of new housing moratorium after those projects were announced. And it's, and it's like, well, where do you expect these people that, you know, these tens of thousands of people that you're bringing in your community for these, you know, high-skilled, high-paying jobs, where do you expect them to live? And, and you're exactly right. It's like every, each county and each city almost says, well, that's next county over's problem, it's next city over's problem. A lot of states spend gobs of money on economic development handouts. And one of the best economic development programs I can imagine is when you've got an opportunity for large-scale industrial facility in your area that will have to be staffed by tens of thousands of people is just let those people have places to live. That doesn't seem very complicated to me. As a friend of mine said, if the Department of Economic Development is going to spend all this time and you know, subsidies, taxpayer money to lure these development projects in. They should have some type of housing, workforce housing component in there. Yeah. So um, if and when we're trying to get at the number, I remember Ed Glazer had sort of done a estimate of the cost to uh, the overall U.S. economy of zoning and other sort of housing restrictions. And it was like trillions of dollars a year that we're leaving on the table just by not letting people easily flow from one place to another, move to places where opportunities are and be able to have housing cheaply. How do you get at that question as a research question to sort of understand fully or as as fully as we can the cost that we are putting on ourselves? As I mentioned earlier, our first uh, research project in this space was to replicate the National Association of Home Builders survey that they conduct nationally to find out the cost of regulation in a single-family home. And so there are 11 metrics over lot development and the construction aspect that I you know, usually bore these various local groups with to death. And there was one slide I often show, and I say, okay, I've given you PowerPoint slide after PowerPoint slide that has, you know, pie charts and other quantitative data in it. But at the end of the day, when we're talking 26.9% of the cost of a single family home, if you have a $350,000 home, that means on average $94,000 is locked up in government regulation that is being passed on from the builder and the developer to the consumer. And that's usually when the light bulb goes on in their head. And I look around the room and people are grabbing their cell phones and they're taking photos of that slide because that's that's real money. It's not a percentage to them. And, you know, th- there are a lot of folks that, you know, are active and try to, you know, maintain um, kind of that let's just say integrity and ensuring that local governments aren't just having a windfall off either restricting development or just making money off the prospect of development. But at the end of the day, there's just a lack of awareness for a lot of these issues and and what contributes to the cost and and lack of availability when it comes to housing. How does that change the, knowing that information, how does that change the incentives for local people to make a different decision? So, you know, when we first started doing our housing work, We often heard that Georgia was ground zero for architectural design standards or aesthetic design mandates or or some variation of those those words. And essentially what that means is you had local governments, uh, typically cities, that would do things like ban the use of vinyl siding on the exterior. They would require four-sided brick. They would have window minimum sizes. 
They would have detached garage requirements, all things to artificially inflate the cost of the home. And so that when, when we looked in the study, we found that in Georgia, you know, that added 4.1% total on average to the cost of a new home. That was significantly higher than the national average, which was 2.7. But more than that, Georgia builders were nearly 14 percentage points higher, more likely to encounter that than their national counterparts. So we, we did learn that Georgia was, in fact, ground zero once we, we jumped into the work. There are a lot of cities that have really interesting neighborhoods with new houses up and down blocks. And there are a lot of towns you can go into that you drive down the street and everything is a craftsman all the way down down the block. And I don't think people really internalize the idea is that is the degree to which regulation drives a lot of how development gets done. And for people like me, who like looking at interesting houses in an area, especially making use of the new materials and uh, design elements and things like that with housing, you don't get interesting neighborhoods when your housing construction is highly regulated. You get cookie cutter box stuff that that the developer can put up cheaply and quickly and easily and turn a profit and move on. You don't. There's not as much investment in uh, creating something that is a you know positive externality to the people who are just walking by. No, and and the interesting thing too is you know we we have found a lot of uh, diverse and and newfound uh, allies in this housing affordability and, and regulation space. And one of them you know is the conservancy groups, and they have done a a, a focused effort of showing that. You can have a lot of variation to fill the needs for a lot of different types of housing. Like, you know, th there are duplexes and triplexes that you might think you would never realize it walking by that they are. You know, they, they show pictures of the way that you can have two driveways and you would never know as, as a pedestrian walking by. And so that that diversity, you're right, that, that developers are often disincentivized from doing anything like that because they have to deal with so much, you know, kind of red tape and getting through the process, the cost that is passed on the consumer. And at the end of the day, it's like, let's just, you know, maximize the profit and, and get out of here. Chris Denson directs policy and research at the Georgia Public Policy Foundation. We spoke in Chicago in August. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening. <laughs>